Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. All right, welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. This is Gray, and this week I am here with a longtime friend and a peer and a mentor and uh, a guy named Blake Imason from Lime Cuda. Blake, you're up in Michigan now, right? I am, yep. Uh, kind of Lansing area, MSU, all that. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I am excited to dig into. I, obviously, I know a, a good bit of your story, but I'm sure there's a lot that I don't know, and I'm excited to hear it and share it. So thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, fantastic to be uh, on here with you, Gray. Uh, like you said, we've we have a, a long history, like probably getting close to a decade now, which, uh, which is nuts to think about, but, um, it's always been fun kind of, you know, keeping in contact as kind of, um, peers struggling through similar industry stuff. You know, we both came out of, uh, uh, same school, both, uh, entrepreneurship, all that. So it's, uh, it always feels like a comrade in arms kind of experience whenever we get a chance to chat. So yeah. awesome. Well, awesome. Well, I'll, so I want to start off with a little bit of the Lime Cuda story, but before we get to Lime Cuda, I want to give people just the context of how I first came to know you, which is, so you and I both went to Grove City College in Western PA, a small private Christian school. And at the time, so I started there, you were a year ahead of me, and I guess I graduated in 2011, so I came in in the fall of 2007. So WordPress was pretty new at the time, the whole web web thing, and I, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my future. Um, but I got really interested in uh, in web design and kind of the whole online space and eventually in marketing. Um, but at the time, once I started getting into that and taking some classes on it, you were kind of known on campus as the the WordPress guy. You were already doing some client work <laughs> and, and had experience, and it was like, whoa, here's here's Blake. He's the man on campus for, uh, for all this stuff. So I, I kind of remember you will remember what the name of this was. I, you did like a either weekly or monthly thing where you would have like kind of like office hours. Yeah. So I think it was called web Wednesdays. Uh, that's what it was. Basically like, you know, like you said, WordPress is probably only like three or four, maybe Super five young. years old, like, yeah. you know, yeah, very young. And it still was very much a blogging platform, but I, I'd gotten just enough taste of it to see like, wow, there's a, there's a future here. This is going to like rock the, the small business and mid-sized business world. And, uh, you know, we had that fantastic mentor. Uh, we both are still, uh, in touch with him. I'm sure Tim Sweet, who, uh, at the time he was, um, working for like a web development and hosting company. And he was also teaching night classes. So like, he yep. just was like, you know, lighting this fire under a bunch of students. So him and the kind of opportunity of WordPress just like got all my juices flowing. And uh, we had this weekly thing where anyone that wanted to just come hang out and talk web stuff, we just had a classroom we'd hang out in and, uh, you know, bat around ideas and help each other with problems. It was, it was a good time. That was. All right. So I was taking a class with Tim 
at the time, and I was also working on the the Grove City College Lacrosse team's first website. And uh, and I remember going to one of those Web Wednesdays. I don't know that I'd even connected with you before, and I was like a little bit nervous because you were you seemed like the man, and I had no clue what I was doing. Um, and that's <laughs> kind of what I remember from our first <laughs> from our first conversation. Um, and I think I was like this classic, uh, much more timid earlier days gray but i think i was i think i was like didn't want to take up much of your time i like had a couple questions and probably tried to rush through them and so anyways <laughs> that was uh that was the early days and where we got started but let's let's move from there into the actual kind of how lime kuda got started and because i think your story is really interesting um and a lot of things that you've been through and really helped uh helped kind of you went through some of that stuff before we went through it with guava box and that was helpful for us. I think that'd be helpful for folks listening as well. So how did Lime Cuda get started? Yeah, sure. Sure. So with, uh, kind of the on-campus inspiration that got me down the, um, the, the web development web strategy route, uh, I had to do a business plan competition as part of my senior year. And, uh, I was kind of, you know, playing with this WordPress stuff, SEO consulting, and uh, I thought, well, I'll just turn that into a business plan. And uh, the kind of the um, unique aspect of it will be it's open source kind of solutions for small business. Uh, you know, being entrepreneurship majors, we kind of idolize the small business kind of thing and, you know, wanted to help those people who are in startups or small business. So did that uh, business plan uh, tied for first. <laughs> um then uh, I just went with it right out of school. Uh, that was back in 2010. And uh, so I've been doing it seven years now. It's had probably uh, three or four pivots along the way. But uh, yeah, so it, it started because, um, to, to roll back just a little bit, uh, Tim Sweet had gotten me a really sweet inter, or, uh, internship in uh, Pittsburgh. And I ended up doing uh, SEO work and uh kind of some stuff around um, like pay-per-click and that whole, I don't think it was called inbound at the time, really. It was mm-hmm. kind of before that became a term, but it was a lot of stuff related to internet marketing, which was probably the, the bigger term used. And uh, I loved it, uh, but I knew I didn't want to do it uh, all day, every way, all day, every day. I was literally having nightmares doing keyword research, like in spreadsheets. <laughs> that, that was kind of like the the dawning point where I was like, you know, this is some fun stuff, but I can't just do this day in, day out. I need to uh, branch out and, and um, expand a little bit. So when when I was thinking uh, about this recently, uh, I realized that that experience getting into SEO is, is at the start of my kind of career really helped orient me towards kind of the, the success of a business and looking at like what are those metrics that really import, are important. And I think that's been one of the things that's been able to differentiate us from other, you know, dime a dozen web development, web strategy design firms is uh, a lot of times they're just, you know, uh, code monkeys or design shops and they might be great at what they do. But, uh, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, like literally the choir master. Uh, but, you know, if you don't have those business aims uh, and, uh be thinking strategically about the business, all you're doing is uh, creating something pretty. So really the the start of my whole journey was in the SEO internship. And from there I got into WordPress and um, just ended up launching Lime Cuda as a uh, 
kind of WordPress design and development shop. And uh, like I said, that's been a, a crazy seven-year journey to where we are now. Yeah. You mentioned like three or four pivots along the way. What um, what were some of the big uh, turns that you guys took with the business? Sure. So uh, one uh, that was a hard one to get my head around for probably three years was who our client was. And initially, you know, I told you I had this kind of like idealization of the entrepreneur and the small business. Uh, I grew up in a small business, um, part of an entrepreneurial family, love that kind of stuff. But after three years, I realized they are hard clients. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and you and I, you know, running small businesses, we might be have similar issues. Um, but what I realized is they, they of course, are very sensitive with budget, which um, is understandable. Um, you know, when you're running a small business, you have to be careful and you have to be a good steward of what uh, marketing funds you have. But then also uh, they, they can tend to be the kind of people that are very processed and they're generally not good about just letting the expert be the expert. So after years of kind of struggling with that and, you know, that, that situation where you're kind of designing and coding and it, it feels like the client's really over your shoulder directing you. Uh, after a few years of that, we kind of started to chase more upmarket and uh, try and chase more corporate stuff, which was kind of a dirty word to the entrepreneur, you know, going after corporate or whatever. But right. uh, it was really a great uh, move business-wise because um, budget isn't as big of a deal, which of course is, is huge when you're trying to grow a business. And then uh, secondly, it usually you'll end up dealing with areas of a company where um, – they would rather you just be the expert and tell them what to do or to do it. And that is so much more effective, more enjoyable, you know? So if, if we can find those clients that uh, respect us as the expert and will let us just tell them what to do and then do it, that that was really um, kind of an epiphany probably three years in that those are the ones we need to be chasing. Even though we love entrepreneurs, they're not a right foot client for us. So that'd be one pivot. Um, you want me to hit you with another? Yeah, well, I, I do. I think that you just hit on exactly like one of the reasons that small businesses are still small in a lot of cases is because the owner or leadership just hasn't learned how to let go yet. And obviously sure. the fact that they are small leads to the budget issues. But I think if you want to be micromanaged, the best place you can live is just in the small business Um realm so absolutely absolutely agree that's a common theme um that we hear is just you have to as much as you would like to help the small businesses grow um in a lot of cases they just have some self-limiting issues that that they need to get through before they're going to be able to grow and unless you're really passionate about being the agent of change to to get to work through those issues um that can be a tough place to be in as a service provider in this space so yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely can relate to that, to that experience. What, uh, what was, what, were, what would have been the other big pivots? So another one that comes to mind is, uh, stuff in the kind of the realm of hosting. Um, so our hosting journey looked like, Hey, we're doing WordPress stuff. We're doing development and design. It seems natural to offer hosting as part of that. But you know, at the time we're thinking like, well, we're, we're offering a commodity. We need a price like a commodity. So you know, foolishly, we started out at like, you know, six, seven, ten dollars a month kind of thing, um, trying to compete with like Hostgator and Bluehost and, you know, these other 
um, kind of bottom feeder hosting providers because we were thinking like, you know, this is we're offering the same thing as these guys. Sometimes we're just reselling our services. So we priced our hosting competitively, uh, which also meant we weren't differentiating it. And uh, so the, the next big, big pivot was also kind of philosophically realizing what we're offering for the client in terms of um, what we call hosting and caretaking is way higher value than, you know, what HostGator can give at five bucks a month. Uh, so the next pivot was kind of thinking differently about that, pricing it more correctly. So, you know, kind of intro is more like $50 a month and um, very quickly goes up from there depending on the, uh, the client needs and size. But where now we, we think of our hosting not as a commodity, but it's something that uh, we're very involved in. It's a lot of um, kind of high-touch uh, service so that there's um, – you know, personal attention that's paid to it that really was costing us a lot of uh, time and effort and was a fantastic value that we weren't capturing. So that was the second pivot is just changing how we thought about hosting, which resulted in a, uh, a better pricing structure, which was more sustainable. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's something we may talk about this or may not get to it, but um, you and I have worked together and we've wound up um, although Guava Box has done hosting for a while as well, um, the setup that you guys moved to and the decisions I think that you've made to just go as far away from the bottom feeders in the industry as possible, I think has been a great pivot for you guys um, and something that we've partnered together on and sent Guava Box clients to you guys for hosting because um, I think you do that really, really well. So that's something, if there are any agencies, and we may talk about this more in depth at some point, but if there are any agencies who are looking for um, <clears throat> kind of the combination of the the best technology, but also some some personal attention, and that isn't something your agency wants to do, um, Blake is, is probably the right person to talk to uh, about setting up some kind of partnership or referral system there as well. So awesome. anyways, yeah, not to cut talk. you off, but, but wanted to mention <laughs> that, and maybe we get, sure. get, maybe we get to that at some point in this episode uh we'll see where we are time wise but anyways I'll carry on with the with the pivot train yeah so um the third one that comes to mind is um it's also one that's been ongoing over the last seven years probably a bunch of micro pivots but it's been continually narrowing in on what is it that we actually do and that we do really well um so when we first started out we were doing seo and adwords and social media and blog content generation, like we were doing all that stuff, which all of it's absolutely key for, uh, you know, for most businesses. But um, at least for our particular agency, we realized the strengths of our team and how we should best use our time. Those weren't all a great fit. So over time, we've we've narrowed the focus of what we do, which means we've been able to do um, uh, kind of deeper expertise projects that that really play to our strengths. And then we haven't been shy about bringing in uh, partners. So this has been probably one of the, the best parts of um, uh, this kind of hybrid agency model that we've got is that uh, we'll, we'll bring in, you know, marketing or branding partners. Sometimes they'll bring us in. And uh, when you can attack a, a client uh, problem or, you know, be striving for a client success with people that are really good at what they do and you're really good at what you do, and you respect each other, uh, 
that's just been some of our best successes, I think, have come from those uh, those partnerships. So, so to sum up that pivot, it's been continually trying to dial in what are the things we should be doing, what are the things we shouldn't be doing. And uh, it's been tough to be ruthless about that. But when we've done that and, you know, either turned away work or brought in partners for the certain pieces, that's been really um, uh, really helpful in the, the growth of our uh, firm. Right. Hmm. That's uh, all three of those make sense, and they all kind of have the common theme of which makes sense as a business as you're trying to like it is a journey and you're trying to figure out who are we and what do we do and who do we help and how do we do that and answer all the all the the basic questions but they all are like a refining of focus where none of those decisions that you made um were an expansion of any of those they were kind of a consolidation of okay we no longer um instead of serving anybody who comes to us and primarily that small businesses kind of weeding out some of the smaller businesses and focusing on a step up in the market and then narrowing down the services that you offer to specifically what we do best, narrowing sure. down the way that you're going to hire or way that you're going to offer hosting packages and just cut out a lot of the the low budget, low value stuff that you could do. So I think that's yeah. that's cool to see that common theme as you continue to go. And I, I think a lot of, uh, especially young, talking to entrepreneurship students and stuff, um, you hear a lot of times in business plans, like an already broad business plan and then saying, and then once we do this, we're going to expand into this and this. Right. And, and I, I think it's in, in most successful businesses, it's the opposite where you actually, uh, continue to narrow down your focus. And then at some point, mm -hmm. once you hit scale, then there can be other things that come out of that either to serve the same industry or same, same market or a different segment of the market. But a lot of times it is that. Uh, continuous narrowing down that ultimately leads, leads to success, especially yeah. in, yep. in those and, first five, 10 years or whatever. And I, I think that uh, applies really well, not just to like a business um, thinking about how to uh, focus and differentiate, but, you know, as, as professionals, as individuals that are trying to better ourselves, it's so hard in our space to become an like top of your game expert in, in the entire space. But uh, you know, if you pick a niche, it's much easier to become like, you know, that guy that knows accounting websites or that, that person that knows how to do, um, you know, restaurants or whatever it is. It's much easier to, uh, pick your niche and, uh, totally rock it out, um, and, and grow personally in that than it is to like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, learn everything and do everything for internet marketing or web development or whatever. You know, it's, uh, it, it's hubris to think that, uh, and it's a common young young person mistake is that uh, the the stack of knowledge out there doesn't look as big when you're uh, starting out right, small. Right, right. That that's definitely true. Yeah, I think uh, like combining your skill sets, like you're saying, you know, if you're the the person who knows web design but also knows web design in the accounting space, then you can you're going to be more successful there than if you try and do one or the other. So a lot mm -hmm. of times the com combination of different things like do inbound, um, it's an example. There's a ton of great project management platforms out there. Um, so if we were just one more in the crowd of the same old, um, everyone's kind of got their different spin on it, but, but it's all project management software. And instead of doing, instead of trying to compete there, taking project management 
and applying it specifically to agencies, specifically digital agencies, and then primarily inbound agencies or agencies who offer inbound as, as part of what they do, um, that that has helped us to be a lot more successful than if we tried to go out and be the next base camp or, or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think that combination world makes example. a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's talk a little bit about where you guys are today because that's always interesting. Um, so services, if, if you go to longcuda.com and I'm looking at the services drop down and see website design and development, that is piece number one. Hosting and caretaking is listed on there. Agency partnering is listed on there. What is, uh, what's kind of the core of what you guys do? I and mean, then maybe we talk about, um, team and, and, uh, and like, uh, just generally what, what types of, we've kind of already hit on clients, but, um, but if there's anything else that we should add about types of clients that you serve so we can kind of get a feel for where Lemcoot is today, I think that'd be helpful. And then jump from sure. there, uh, in the next, next area. Yeah. 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 So, um, with our clients, we do try and take kind of like uh, a holistic approach to them. Uh, so at the beginning of a relationship, we, you know, uh, do that kind of discovery thing where you're figuring out what they need. And, uh, as much of that as we can provide, we will, or we'll bring on subcontractors that have particular expertise or agencies. So really what we mostly end up doing is kind of, um, taking strategy lead and spending a lot of time in the discovery phase. Um, what, uh, Chris Lemma calls, uh, you know, as you're getting to know a client, you you really marinate in the problem space. So we try and really like spend a lot of time getting to know their business and uh, getting to know what are the, the issues that you're facing. A lot of times it's business process things that, you know, while we technically don't do, we can at least say, hey, you know, you guys need to get on a CRM here. You need to have some process to, you know, uh, work these leads through. You need to think about your business differently. So we'll, we'll spend a lot more time getting to know them and then, uh, then we'll assemble a plan for how to, uh, you know, how that's going to affect their website. Because usually what we end up being pulled in on is a, a website build or a re website rebuild. And, uh, so while that's kind of the, the focus and that's what the client thinks they want, that they're kind of just like, Hey, we need a website. We spend a lot more time getting to know them and, uh, try to really become that uh, strategic consultant that's looking at, well, you know, yeah, you, you need a website, but really you need a whole lot more and you need to think about this differently. Um, so, so that's kind of the starting spot for us. And then, you know, that, that works itself out and actually building WordPress websites, and, you know, building special function, functionality, creating custom designs, maybe some brand refresh. Um, and uh, then, you know, there's of course the hosting component that uh, that we do a lot, but that's it at a at a nutshell is getting to know them, figuring out what they need, doing it, or bringing in other people to do it. Blake, do you guys charge for that discovery phase? Is that its own service um, or offering, or is that just part of a larger deal? How does that? Because th that transition trips up a lot of people going from okay, I'm in the sales process, I'm in the sales process. At what point I need answers to this? Does this become its own project, or is it something separate? How do you guys structure that? Yeah, oh man, you're hitting on something that um, that's been a kind of lifelong struggle for us. <laughs> um, so one thing we tried at one point was trying to charge for that kind of um, phase zero discovery. We're going to come up with strategy, and you know, even though we tried to really price that as like you know, 
500 to 2000 or you know something that seemed low and shouldn't be a problem and could apply to a bigger web project we just for our for our structure that just we didn't have a lot of success with that that's not to say that that isn't a great route i know some companies that do that do that very well but we just could never get the knack of it um, with the way our sales process works so really it, it then ends up being uh, a lot of vetting of the client uh, up front and a lot of trying to figure out is this client one that uh, is willing to you know pay or they have budget and uh, are we a good fit and then if they are we'll, we'll continue and we'll be pretty generous with uh, peppering our kind of sales with consultation and, and being really generous about uh, discovering them discovering what makes them tick uh, talking opportunities with them and Usually that works out really well because by that point in the sales process, we've built up enough trust and credibility that they're not going to take those ideas and they're going to, you know, run to someone else that we've demonstrated expertise. And, uh, at that point we have a really good, um, closure rate where, uh, if we're, if we're at a point of actually doing a proposal for one of those clients, which, you know, might be five to 15 pages long. So it's a, you know, pretty big endeavor. We're at the point of investing in that. It's very rare now that uh, that that proposal actually doesn't get accepted because we've done so much work pre-qualifying them and, and talking through with them. Where you know, oftentimes we've even uh, we know their budget. We know whether if we if we give them an, a proposal and it's going to be you know 50 grand, is that a problem for them? So when we actually do send the proposal out, we've done all this discovery and we've had all these talks with them. It's uh, it's extremely rare that that doesn't result in, uh, in business. So that's how we've approached it. I'm not convinced that's the best way, but it's uh, it's what's working for us. Right. That's cool that you that you've tried both. I think a lot of that does come down to self awareness and understanding what's our sales style and how that goes. Like, is there anything that um, has changed in this? Obviously, a lot of things have changed in the sales process. Are there any things? I guess like on a really high level, any big things that you feel like have changed to improve your close rate over time? Yeah. And I, um, I guess one example that I'm thinking of is I've just become much more, as I've become a much better salesperson, um, there's some like internal things I think just caring less about. I care far less. I don't really care on a prospect call whether they like me or not now. Because ultimately, if I can help them, they'll like me. And if they're not willing to be helped, then uh, it, it doesn't really matter anyways. And they, they probably won't like me at the end of the day. And I think that what that's what that's led to is I like the qualifying stuff really early. Typically, I'll even just like tell people my goal here is to come up with an answer as quickly as possible about whether there's uh, – no way that we can work together or it's possible that we can work together and just basically let them know I'm trying to disqualify you to save us both time sure. in the process and go through the qualification. And I don't let people off the hook. Like I used to let people off the hook when I would say, when I would ask the budget question and they'd say, well, I don't really have a budget. I'd always be like, okay, well let's move on to the next thing. What's your timeline? And obviously <laughs> that's pointless because you, you need to have some idea about who you're talking with and what they're, what they're going to be willing to spend and help set their expectations. Um, so, so that I think on a high level, caring less about being liked and caring more about actually helping them as the, as the number one and really only goal has, 
has been a big change in not letting people off the hook with things like mm -hmm. budget. You know, if you don't have a budget, then there's some different ways that, that you can answer that and attack that. But um, I think just being more uh, digging into their situation and trying to communicate, not necessarily in as many words, but that you really don't care whether you win or lose the business unless you can actually help them. Um, yeah, yeah. But is there uh, anything I got, that, that sticks out to you? Sure, sure. I've got two that kind of mesh right in there in those spaces. Um, one would be uh, just around budget and pricing, which is really that's the most awkward part of the whole conversation. And it, it also tragically is where uh, things uh, <laughs> die or succeed is on budget. Like we live in real world. There's limited amount of money these firms have. And uh, pretending like it's not a problem and it's not awkward is not helping anyone. So what we've tried to do is be really um, kind of verbose about uh, about pricing, even if they aren't, uh, they don't have numbers in their minds or they can't give a budget. We've tried to be really uh, intentional about throwing out numbers and starting to anchor in their mind what uh, what similar projects cost or what kind of ranges are because the the moment we mention a price range and we might, you know, say 10,000 to 50,000 or whatever, that does a big range. It wouldn't be a real world range, but, um, but the moment we start throwing out ranges, uh, they suddenly are anchored. And then if we come in somewhere within that and they're still having the conversation, it's much more likely to be a, a success. And it's not just us throwing out numbers. I should say it's getting reactions and trying to judge their um, response and uh, this isn't about being manipulative or tricking. This is about us together trying to figure out what's going to make business sense for both of us. Um, can we provide enough value to warrant fifty thousand? Um, do you have budget that will make fifty thousand uh, reasonable? And it, because every business is different and has different um, cash stores and cash flow and all that, it's um, it's usually a, a very different conversation for every client. So I'd say. To, to pull back and sum up, it would be, uh, like you said, being really uh, intentional about asking about budget. And then what we've done is also uh, try and do some price anchoring, uh, which uh, I'm a big Chris Lemma fanboy. And uh, he has some fantastic stuff about pricing, uh, particularly about uh, price anchoring. So uh, if you want to check out Chris Lemma, he's a, he's a good source on that uh, subject. So Budgeting and price, that's uh, that's one. Uh, you want me to hit you with the other? Yeah, if you have the other, let's go. Yeah, okay. So so the other one, um, this one has been one that, that it's been hard for me, which is uh, being, I guess, kind of upfront about your capabilities and expertise and kind of um, credibility without seeming arrogant or like you're bragging. So for me, I've always been, very wary of coming off as sounding like, you know, that, that arrogant person that's just full of themselves and overconfident and, you know, but we've also had many times where that approach may, meant we sold ourselves short. Um, and people didn't fully understand like, Hey, you know, these guys have done big work. They've done projects bigger than this one. They have, you know, clients that are bigger than us, which would be things that should build trust in them. They should, you know, help um, help us appear more credible. It'll give them more comfort. So it's really been finding that balance and the right way to um, talk about yourself accurately 
and express kind of your credibility and um, uh, that that you are someone of trust without seeming like that arrogant blowhard that just is uh, has an overinflated sense of uh, worth. So that's been the struggle for me. And when we found that and been able to express that well, it's uh, it's really helped uh, us close new work and uh i think uh, that's now a key part of our process is just making sure that we're intentionally sending all these signals and saying the right things to express our credibility and build that trust yeah that makes a lot of sense i think one technique here that might be helpful for people listening <clears throat> around the budget conversation is a lot of times you will get into a conversation with somebody <clears throat> who's just very hesitant to share budget and those situations can sometimes get a little bit combative. <clears throat> and one way that um, that has helped us kind of avoid that well, well, also to some degree establishing some credibility or at least the type of business that you do is called the bucket technique and just basically sharing with people. So in, in a guava box example, like we'd walk through that and say, well, we kind of have three buckets of websites that we do. The first one, and you list off <clears throat> what it is, um, you know, maybe it's a, 20 to 30 page website where you're providing the content we're doing the design and the development um here's like there's no uh crazy functionality or anything here's what it is and, and those projects uh on the very low end start at ten thousand dollars and range up to to twenty five thousand dollars and then our second bucket and you give them the criteria and that's you know typically a 30 to fifty thousand dollar project and then the next step up is kind of like the enterprise type websites and those ones typically start around seventy, seventy-five thousand, and go into uh, you know whatever that is, one twenty-five, one fifty, whatever the range on it is. And what's what's been helpful about that is then once you list that, then you say so based on uh, based on that description and, and what we've talked about so far and your understanding of your situation, which one sounds like the right place for you. And asking them to self-identify into three buckets that they gave you is much easier for a prospect in a lot of mm -hmm. cases than them having to say, well, we have exactly $40,000 to spend and, and here's what we need. And that that's a great way to do price anchoring, um, also to share the type of work that you do. And it's especially helpful when you can share examples of what those are, especially if they've already seen um, different types of, of work, which a lot of the conversations that we have, they have seen um, work and they typically have something that they like that they've seen before. And so they'll often ask, well, I, I think that we'd be in this bucket and here's a site that we like and where we're then they want to do comparisons, which obviously then you've got to dance around. You don't need to, you shouldn't be revealing exactly what other, other people have spent, but you can clarify the type of work that they've done. So that technique, um, has been really helpful for trying to, to get budget out without being super combative and having them self-identify. And sometimes you'll get, obviously you'll get the people who say, well, we have like the, it's amazing how quickly someone can go from, I have no idea what our budget is to, well, we have less than $10,000 to spend. So I don't think we're a fit, Yeah, um, but, but you also get people who, and it happens very, very frequently where they'll say, well, I, I think we're a fit for that second bucket. I don't think we need what you described in the top bucket. Um, and just like with most pricing plans, most people would like to, if they, you know, if they can, they'd like to self-identify in that middle or upper bucket. Um, but if the needs aren't there, then, then that's great if they go into the, the bottom one. But I think that, that that's something that's been helpful um, 
for us and for other folks who we've uh, shared with. And so I thought that might be something that is helpful as well. But that's that's one yeah. of the ways that, that we've gotten around the budget and helped, helped make the budget conversation a little bit easier. Yeah, that's a great, so. uh, great tip. Uh, I'll throw throw one other thought at it. Um, when you when you're actually forming a proposal, at that point, you know you hopefully know generally what what a workable range will be, um, but you also know their expectations in terms of features and you know what's it going to do and how's it going to look and and a lot of times those are they're incongruous. You know, there's no way we can do all the things you want within the budget. So we have experimented with our proposals. Um, giving them two options. And one option we know is within their budget, but it might not have three or four kind of the, the more sexy features that, that uh, they might be wanting. They're, they're not going to be critical features that if they don't launch with them, it's going to be a problem. But then oftentimes what we've seen is they're willing to stretch to get those couple um, sexy features that maybe one of their executives wanted or they, they were kind of fixated on. So we have had some success splitting out proposals and, um, you know, so it might be ones like 20 grand, option one, and option two that's got, you know, a couple of the other things, you know, maybe that's 30 grand. And it's amazing to me how often dividing it like that really, uh, <laughs> they're willing to hop from the, the smaller bucket into the bigger bucket. I 100% agree. And that experience has also, that was a surprise to me once we started doing that, how frequently. And typically, if we're, if we're doing that, we'll give people three op- three different options. And I would have guessed that the middle option would get, would have gotten picked most, but actually, it is the top option, um, which probably tells us something like maybe we're pricing it too low, or maybe there should be some additional things. I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but it has been surprising and, and profitable. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, how frequently people will jump for uh, for the top option in that in that scope. So yeah, I think that's really helpful. Blake, who would have thought if they knew us 10 years ago that you and I would be on a podcast talking about how to do sales at some point, right. <laughs> because that's, <laughs> right, that's right. neither of our personalities by default. Um, but that's part of being an entrepreneur and running this is you really have to learn how to sell and understand, uh, what drives people and, and how to position what you have if you're going to be successful. So that's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. Funny. Well, awesome. Well, Blake, I would like to, uh, I'd love to do have another conversation with you at some point and kind of walk through what you guys do during the web design process um, itself and kind of dig into some of the things that you've learned because uh, you guys, I think, have a really smooth process for handling those and especially handling some complex um, and high-level projects that would be helpful for um, for folks to listen to. But in the meantime, prior to that, um, obviously, some of the stuff that we've mentioned here, any resources, uh, Lime Cuda, the site, hosting, Chris Lemma, um, we will make sure that, that those things go into the show notes at doingwell.com slash podcast. If folks want to ask you questions, get in touch with you about hosting, um, just connect in general, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, Blake at LimeCuda.com is my email. That's uh, always a great way. Uh, if you uh, if you connect to me on LinkedIn, I'm happy to connect. Uh, just send a uh, a note with it if you don't mind. Um, like most of us, I get tons of strange yep. requests and spam requests. So th- those two would be um, probably the best ways to reach out. And um, happy to talk shop and, and see if uh, there could be some kind of a you know partnership that uh, anyone's interested in. Uh, I have lots of those, and they've always worked out uh, really well. Awesome. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. Blake, thanks for coming on and sharing with us uh, and look forward to a part two, part two here in the near future. Awesome. Thanks for time, Gray. Have a good one. All right.